Now getting you set for everything Cardinals. His second game as a Cardinal. Three home runs. This is the Redbird Report Show with Danny Mack. You're out there. On 101 ESPN. Welcome into the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin of Fox Sports Midwest and 101. Coming up, I'll visit with our friend Brad Thompson. He was here in Jupiter at Cardinals camp this weekend doing the games. We'll talk about how broadcasting started for him, what the Duncan family has meant to him both on and off the field, and we'll get into the Cardinals of 2020. The Cardinals finished a trip to the other side of the state today. Tomorrow they'll face the Mets. And up next on a locally televised game, that'll be Thursday against the Marlins at noon on Fox Sports Midwest. So a major point of any camp, certainly Cardinals camp, the fundamentals. Third base coach, Pop Warner. It depends on the situation, obviously, and what Schulte wants from uh, the base runner. But uh, just communicating all the different scenarios that'll happen, uh, whether we're going on contact or you know, seeing it through if the infield's in or the middle's back, you know, what we want with uh, ground balls. Uh, you know, are we going to go? Are we going to see it through? Um, fly balls, what we're going to do on, you know, short pop-ups that we don't know if they're going to catch it or not, whether it's halfway or we're going to use our instincts and tag on a ball that's, you know, taking the middle infielder away from the, from the ball. Just all, all the scenarios that might happen, we're just trying to verse them so they're ready when it happens. Outfield coach, Willie McGee. I think we're uh, well ahead of where we were last year, so these guys are working on communications, uh, looking in and stuff like that, and, and uh, you know, like I said, we got all spring. We started early with this stuff, so uh, we should see better results in that. You know, me having to stand up and do jumping jacks to get their attention, I don't think that will be this year, hopefully you know, late in the game and stuff, and uh, my heart rate to go down a little bit. In uniform in this camp, a sounding board for the players, Rick and Keel. Uh, really just learned, you know, how we're going about things and then just being a soundboard for these guys. Um, you know, whether it's experiences that I've had, things I've learned, or things that I've been taught, you know, um, these guys are working hard. I think they're really hungry, and, you know, it's always good to get advice from former players because some of these guys haven't been there yet. And his thoughts on a Mike Schilt run camp? I think it's been unbelievable. I, I think the way the culture that Mike has built here um, is as good as I've ever seen in some of the meetings, ball talk, and the way they go over things, certain details is the best I've ever seen. Uh, it's pretty impressive, and, and I think um, I think I would have done well as a player under Mike. Some of the news from this past week, and this one is rather bizarre. Jairo Munoz just upped and left. The Cardinals gave him his unconditional release. Munoz left the club unsure if or when he would return. So this allows him to become a free agent. I visit with John Mosellock, the president of baseball operations for the Cardinals, every Monday on scoopswithdannymack.com. And with the departure of Munoz, that leaves the door open potentially for Edmundo Sosa, who has had a terrific camp. You know, I think that the, the thing that's intriguing about him is all of a sudden the power. When you when you look at, at how he was coming up through, he was always a guy that we had a lot of confidence in uh, on the defensive side of things, especially when you're weighing, do you play second base or shortstop, but gives you a lot of flexibility. And so... You know, you brought up Sosa, and I certainly think he's having a really good camp, but I'd also say uh, so is Schrock. Um, both guys are competing, and to your point with uh, Munez uh, taking a leave of absence that we decided to make permanent uh, over the weekend, you know, clearly uh, this is going to create an opportunity for someone. The baseball world not oblivious to what's happening outside the game, and that's the coronavirus 
Major League Baseball officials met with the Cardinal players this past Saturday. Well, I think the best message to, to really everyone is, is common sense. And, you know, if, if you feel like you're in an area where someone doesn't look or feel healthy, you should avoid that. But, you know, the, the one thing you're hearing day in, day out, no matter what you read or people you speak with, it's wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. And so... You know, we're just imploring our players to follow that. We're telling them to, to do whatever they feel most comfortable with in terms of fan interaction. We don't want that to just go away. It might change as far as what you know we consider as the norm, but we certainly want them to be friendly and accessible in, in a very safe manner. Again, you can hear that entire interview on scoopswithdannymac.com. As far as what's happening on the field. That is hammered. Deep left field. And DeYoung has gone deep again. That's three. And this one, a two-run homer. And he crushed it out to left field. Paul DeYoung leads the club in homers. And Tyler O'Neill has made his case to be the starting left fielder on opening day. High fly ball. Left center. Souvenir on the berm. That's why he's hit up there, too. His second home run this spring. O'Neal has shown power, but also better play discipline this camp as his stock continues to climb. Yadier Molina moving as well as he has in many years and producing as well on the field. He's hit into right field. Edmund will score as Yadi delivers with a two-out hit. Four to nothing, St. Louis. Again, I don't know why teams... Don't play him straight up. Kirloff is running, swung on and missed. Throw by Yachty. Goodbye. It's a double play. 38. New year. Same old Yachty. With under two weeks to go in this camp, the Cardinals are trying to figure out their outfield spots. Lane Thomas, Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, all have had good camps. Carlson's has been exceptional. There are spots to be had on the bench. The bullpen, a bit unresolved with the uncertainty of Andrew Miller. This all has to get sorted out in the next 10 days or so. Coming up, it's a visit with Brad Thompson and one of the subjects we get into, the 2006 World Series Championship. Swing and a miss! The Cardinals are world champions for 2006! This is the Redbird Report, and Brad Thompson is next on 101 ESPN. This is Tommy Edmond. The 2-2. Edmond with a drive. listening to the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. We are right back to it. More Cardinals talk right now. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin of Fox Sports Midwest and joined by the Fast Lanes, Brad Thompson, also of Fox Sports Midwest as well. One of the reasons I wanted to get you on, and we're going to talk about baseball here in just a moment, but just how broadcasting came about for you. And I always give you trouble that when I first met you, your your head was buried in a stall. I introduced myself. I barely got a hello out of you. And now you're 
one of the lead analysts for one of the top teams in baseball. How did this all come about for you? Well, let's clarify stall first. I wasn't like in the bathroom. No, all right? it, was it was in my a, locker. Yes. And it was my rookie season, 2005, and I was being quiet. I, I was being seen, not heard. That was my role. And a pretty veteran team. I was by far the youngest guy. I didn't really know anybody. I figured I'd just shut up and maybe if I if I uh, am not too loud that paychecks would keep coming in every couple of weeks. Like, that would be a beautiful thing. How I got to here is uh, uh, an amazing jump, honestly, from that. Because I was really quiet and shy just in general, but I'd cut it up with with my teammates. But uh, I feel very honored to be doing stuff like this. Like, like I love it. I, I love doing the fast lane. I love doing the broadcast with you. I enjoy the, the pre and post games. Like, everything about it is fun. And honestly, this side of my career uh, all started because of Chris Duncan. Chris Duncan thought enough of me, and I didn't know at the time that he was going through his brain tumor, uh, you know, the, the first time. Uh, going through the diagnosis, but he had passed along my phone number to somebody over at ESPN and said, hey, I think he'd do a good job filling in. I don't know if he's in town right now, but I think he'd do a good job. And I got a call over one weekend asking if I could fill in the coming Monday, and I did, and it turned into that day, turned into a week. That week turned into an entire off season, and then after playing one more season, it turned into a career. So if you weren't doing broadcasting, you'd be doing what? I have no idea, Dan. Where were you going? No what were you going to do? Look, I I, uh, I I was at a point where I, I knew that I wanted to be in baseball somehow, some way. So whether that was you know teaching or or some sort of you know baseball school or whatever, I, I wanted to be part of that. But my main fallback plan was my my wife's way smarter than me, so I was going to let her just do latch onto that. Yeah, I feel like I, I could be Mr. Dad. You know, that would yeah. be a beautiful thing too. Michael Keaton, Mr. Yeah, Mom, it'd be great. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be, be awesome. <laughs> How about influences in the game? Not broadcasting yet, but influences yeah. in the game for you. Look, there there have been so many, honestly, throughout uh, throughout my entire life. It starts with you know my family. You know my 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 parents always being so supportive with everything. My dad coached me uh, up until about high school, and, and then he it, it was hands off and, and letting everybody else do their thing. But uh, I had so many guys. Once I got to the Cardinals organization, uh, there was one pitching coach. His name was Sid Manji. I don't know if you remember, oh, remember yeah. Sid Manji. But he spent so much time with me. I came in. I got drafted out of college as a sidearm slinger uh, of just – I didn't know what a sinker was. My ball just moved a lot. I, I threw a four-seam grip, and it just moved like crazy. And had a sweeping slider. I get here. I get to spring training. And Sid Manji said, hey – I want to I want to do some make some changes with you. I want to get your arm up a little bit. I want you to spin the ball around, throw a two seam, and I want to get you some true sink. And I threw my first bullpen with making some changes. And the first sinker I threw, I was like, "Oh my god, that's awesome! I want to do that more." So Sid Manji had a, a huge influence in like what my path looked like to the big leagues. I mean, ultimately, I ended up, I was a sinker baller. I mean, that was my bread and butter. That was my go to, and I didn't have that when I got drafted. So, so you're a sidewinder. Yes. And, I mean, you were like Kent Colvey here or what? Yeah, I'm basically at the hip, just just slinging it. Really? Yeah, stepping right at right-handed batters, slinging it across my body, and uh, throwing a slider from there as well. So got a lot of, uh, a lot of awkward swings in college. But it wasn't anything – first of all, it was hard for me to repeat. It was hard for me to just, you know, execute the same pitch over and over again. 
And it was one of those things where the ball stayed on one plane and it didn't move a ton. So making that adjustment of getting my arm up and, and plus just health wise, right? Because I didn't even I didn't pitch in high school, really. I pitched like four innings, I think, my senior year. I pitched in American Legion ball, so summer ball. That's when I got my opportunity to pitch. That's where I got seen by this college that that said a week before school, Dixie State College in Utah, it's as big as it sounds. Uh, but <laughs> a, a week before school started, I got a phone call from their coach that, hey, I got a chance to see you this summer in a tournament. Really like you. We had a kid drop out of a scholarship. He's going to Oklahoma. Would you want to come here? And I was going to walk on at the community college in Las Vegas and try to make that team in the same community college uh, that Bryce Harper went to, just mm-hmm. for, for reference. And... Uh, I said, yeah. I mean, if you got a spot for me, I, I want to be there. It was about an hour and a half outside of my hometown, Las Vegas, and I went for it. My parents were supportive. It still cost them some money, even though it was a scholarship. Sure. Uh, they, you know, they, they had to put me up, and, and a big, you know, big change, a big difference. But had I not done that, had I not gotten that opportunity, I wouldn't be here for sure. What do you think about when you think back to your time with Chris Duncan? Well, I, I, I think about. Well, there's so many different things, man. Uh, Dunk to me is, I love the fact that everybody got an opportunity on the radio and on TV to to get inside the personality of Chris Duncan. Because, I mean, he's one of the funniest dudes ever. He can cut up a room. And he's one of those guys where when he would talk, everybody would listen. You'd notice it in the clubhouse. You'd see, like, Dunk's, oh, Dunk's telling a story. Everybody starts coming in. There's, like, three guys. And then half the team ends up being there while he cuts it up. And the, the laughs are what I think about the most, but it's also, uh, and obviously with, with his passing last year, you reflect on a lot of things. Uh, I reflected on, on the, the competitor that he was. Like, Dunk wanted to win at everything, absolutely everything. I still remember this. So I got to double A in 2004. Uh, Dunk had been in the organization a couple of years already, and I remember it like it was yesterday. It was our first game in double A in 04. Dunk is on first base, a weak ground ball, hit to second, little shovel flip to the shortstop, and Dunk put this shortstop in about left field. Yeah, I bet. Like, he wore him out. And I was like, oh, my God, that's that's what we do here. Yeah. This is double This is, this is big, big boy right? stuff. Yeah, and, and he was just so intense with everything that he did. And I learned a lot from that. I learned a lot from that him as a player. But he prepared for radio, and he prepared for TV, and he prepared for, look, if Dunk was doing a random radio interview with a station in Milwaukee, he's going to prep for at least an hour beforehand. Like, he, he had – he had everything in order, and he truly cared about it. And I took that to heart when I first started. You know, he helped me a lot. How tough do you think it was for him being a member of the Cardinals and his dad on the staff? From your perspective, knowing him very well, and then being a teammate, and then just how the other guys around the team viewed that situation. You know what? I, so the beauty of it was the guys around him at the big league level, Nobody, nobody looked at it as like, ah, oh, that's just Dave's kid. And, you know, he's here because he's Dave's kid. That didn't happen at the big league level. Everybody knew that he earned every bit of being, th- being there. That being said, I'm not sure that that was always the case for him in the minor leagues. Like the, the thought was all the no time, question. oh, yeah, here, here, Dave's kid. Oh, of course. Like he's, he's going up the, the rankings. So uh, I think that it's easy from a fan perspective to look at it and say, Oh, well, that's probably easier, having your dad being a big league pitching coach in the organization that you're drafted in. I look at that and say, it's not. It's not easier. Like, his talent would have played anywhere. Dunk would have made it to the big leagues in any organization he was drafted by, and he wouldn't have that 
that uh, his dad's a big league coach, and not just a big league coach. I mean, Dave Duncan, to me, is a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer, no question. Uh, but he didn't have that hanging over his head, or wouldn't have that hanging over his head anywhere. But he did such a good job of being able to compartmentalize that. You know, it, it is what it is. He went out and did his job. What was it like pitching for both Dave and Tony? Two, one's in the Hall of Fame. Two should be, as we mentioned, in the Hall of Fame. What was it like pitching for them? Well, for, for me, first of all, like I, I didn't know any better, right? Like I just I lucked out into a great spot, specifically with Dave, because Dave loved the sinker baller, and, and that's what when I came up a little bit different than right now. I mean, you've seen the game change quite a bit over the last couple of years. Now it's four seams curveballs. Well, uh, when I was coming up, it was sinker slider. You had that if you got ground balls then they loved you. And so that worked out really well for me. But the thing that I loved about pitching for them, once again, is the compete. I mean, yeah. uh, Chris got it from somewhere, right? Sure. So so Dave, uh, Dave was very... Uh, he wanted to win again at, at a little bit of everything, but they've simplified things so well for each pitcher, which I really appreciate. I, I, I remember my first meeting, we're going in and we're talking about the opposition. And there's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of information. There's more information now than there was there. By the way, Dave was well ahead of everybody A lot of what else. we have today is it was he was doing back you then. You are right. He just had it in binders. Right. And you remember him traveling, man. Dave it's unbelievable. Have, he'd have his own big, like, God forbid we had a three-city three road trip because we'd have to get a bigger plane for all the You're stuff right. that Dave was traveling with. Uh, but I remember all the information that was going my head was kind of spinning a little bit like all right this guy's strengths this is weaknesses i've never had anything like that you don't, you didn't have at the time all that information in the minor leagues and i'm walking out and he grabs me by the arm he said hey remember all that stuff that we just talked about i said yes sir forget all of it forget everything throw your sinker down the middle throw your sinker down the middle and wherever it goes it goes yes and, and you're gonna be just fine I said okay here wow. we go sinker down the middle it runs i get tons of ground balls and uh, that helped me a ton. And then as I got more comfortable, well, then I started incorporating some more of the scouting reports and, and different things and, and information. But sometimes you got to simplify it for, for guys. And Dave did a very good job of that. Scoreless innings streak in the minor leagues. What was uh, Look, the final I, tally, uh, which I know you probably can't I remember. Don't, you know, off the top of my head, I think it's going to be very difficult to cut. 57 and two-thirds. 57 and two-thirds. Uh, yeah, and... and uh, it was that was awesome. No, I bet that was so much fun. Were people following it? Did you know what yeah. was going on? So I I didn't really, I I didn't realize it until you know maybe like thirty innings or so it started getting some some pub and it would be funny because I, I'd go into opposing ballparks and teams would be like, hey, where's that where's that monster that's got you know the, the scoreless <laughs> inning streak? And then I roll in, it's like, yeah, that's that's me. That's you, right? Like, come on, really? Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was uh, well. That that's the only thing again that really put me on the map with the Cardinals. Is I, it I still wasn't a record? prospect. I, I believe it is. Yes, yeah, uh, that's what I thought it uh, is. Uh, Snell. So it was like a, a total minor league record. Right. And then they found something from 1906. I believe it was like Irv uh, Wilhelm or something like that, where he threw two ends of a double header and maybe he got 59 innings or something like that but they called a modern day record at least what they're sitting on certainly a southern league record but uh uh blake snell got close to it 
He had 40-something innings a couple of years ago before he ascended to the big leagues. And I found myself, like my agent actually sent me a clip uh, right. from back in the day because obviously he followed it really closely. And he's like, hey, somebody's creeping on you. And I found myself like actively rooting against Snell, which was kind of weird. That's all right. Nobody wants, I would too. Nobody wants their streaks broken. No. But that's the thing that put me on the uh, on the map with the Cardinals. If, if I didn't have that, I wasn't a top prospect. I wasn't a guy that they looked at and say, ah, oh, he's going to make it to the big leagues. I had to do something special. And I was able in, in that year, with a lot of help, by the way, because um, I, I wasn't like I was striking out the world. I was getting tons of ground balls. We had a really good team. Ended up winning. Actually, it was co-champions because we had a big hurricane that came in at the end of the year and just blew up uh, the championship series. Sure. But it was just a, it was a great team, well managed. Uh, Mark DeJean was my manager, so so it's great. I mean, DJ is one of my favorite people in, just in the game. Just the best man in Mike Shields' wedding. That's right, that is right, and and one of the best men you'll be around. One of the best baseball people ever. So that's what kind of put me on the map with the Cardinals, and then. From that streak, I ended up giving up a run at the end of it. I got called up to AAA right after that. I think they were kind of waiting for that to end uh, to get me there. And then I think I made one start in AAA and ended up on the DL at the time. So, And I learned a lot through that. I learned a lot uh, about the fact that I was going out there, I was having success, and I was and I was working. You know, I was doing my work, doing things, but I wasn't working maybe as hard as I should have been to keep myself healthy and ready. Like like the arm was good, and I think I just kind of took it for granted. And then at the end of that streak, I had uh, just uh, it, it was like a stabbing pain in the shoulder. And yeah. I, I was thinking to myself because well, they sent me to St. Louis to get an MRI. And I'm thinking, well, my shoulder's going to be blown up. And I remember coming out of it, and they, they said, hey, you're weak. You, you need to strengthen your shoulder. So that was a big learning thing for me because, you know, who knows? If I, if I have that streak in 04, I carry it on into AAA, I could be a part of that 2004 team if right. I had kept myself healthy. So that really got me to a situation where I knew I needed to focus more on that aspect of it. So you get called up. They throw the ball around the horn. Scott Rowland flips it to you, and what's he say? <laughs> Major League debut. So it was 05. It was Mother's Day. And I still remember, and, and this was, you know, at the, at the old bush, remember jogging in, and you know how, like, that place is just all-encompassing, right? Like, you, you're surrounded. It feels like fans were on top of you, and it was loud, you know? And I'm, I, I told myself as I took my step out of the wagon gate, I'm like, all right, well, don't, don't look around. And then I look around, and you, you, you see, you, yeah. know, you feel how many people are there. Throw my warm-up pitches, and Scott Rowland walks over to me with the ball, and he does a little look around the stadium, and he said, wow, a lot of people here, huh? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, a lot. Well, good luck. He gives me a well, good luck. Flips me the baseball, and uh, and away we go with the Major League it's debut. Awesome. Yeah, it was, uh, it was cool. And another guy there where uh, – I was very fortunate in 05 to have such a great group of veterans. And, like, you know, Scott Rowland. Scott was one of those guys, and, and I always say Chris Carpenter is one of these as well. Like, they didn't have to sit me down and, like, talk through stuff with me as far as mentoring goes. I would watch them work yeah. and say, all right, well, I want to do stuff like that. I, I want to be a pro like he's a pro. I want to wrap up this segment, and I'm going to ask you about the Cardinals' next segment of 2020. But 06 World Series, as you reflect on that, um, how did it happen? How did you guys do this? 
Well, I, I think 83 wins isn't buying you what it used to buy you, uh, very obviously. I mean, the, the least the least wins any team has ever had uh, to win a World Who Series. Who cares? You got the ring. It is what it is, right? And, and that's the thing with that ball club throughout that year. There were so many injuries. You got guys. I mean, Jimmy was hurt for a while. You had Scott was hurt. Eckstein was hurt. Yes. I mean, everybody was banged up. And then we're fortunate enough right at the end to squeak in. And, uh, and I know that a lot of guys have talked about this in the past, but we, we get into that series against the Padres. You look at the lineup card and say, holy crap, here we are. Yeah. The boys are here. You know, so it had that confidence going into it, knowing that the group was healthy. And um, I, I still will never forget that my the one game that stands out to me the most during that entire run was game seven of the NLCS. Like that was the, the coolest game, game that yes. I have ever been been a part of, been around, have ever seen. It was just so electric. Shea, that was the loudest place I've ever been. The place was shaking. Like you could like feel your your chest vibrating late in that game. When Andy Chavez robbed that home run, I'm like two feet behind it. I'm seeing the ball coming, and that place went nuts. I thought it was over at that point. Yes, and he doubles up Jimmy going around second. Everybody did. Yeah. You know, but but we just kept fighting, kept battling, and out of everything and winning the World Series and that sprint in, right, into the dog pile. I will never forget that. But my lasting memory really for of that whole run is game seven. Brad Thompson, Dan McLaughlin, this is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. More baseball talk. We're back now to the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin, Brad Thompson of 101 ESPN and Fox Sports Midwest. We continue our conversation on the Redbird Report. 2020 is here. Uh, what do you like about the St. Louis Cardinals this year? Well, I, I like the same things that I liked last year. The pitching depth is great. Even with the injuries currently, Miles Michaelis is banged up. He's scheduled to start throwing again on the 11th. So, I mean, it's coming up soon. Uh, and Andrew Miller, I think that it's a little cloudy around his his situation. That being said, I still think that there's plenty of depth right now. And you got a lot of guys that are fighting it out. We've been talking about it o- over the weekend, you know, the, the battle for the fifth starter job. Yeah. We've got a lot of great candidates. You're going to have people that are going to be uh, upset, and rightfully so, that are going to have to start the season in Memphis. And their numbers are big league numbers. And they could contribute on a lot of teams. But that's a beautiful thing for an organization to have that kind of depth. I think you'll have that in the rotation. You'll have it in the bullpen as well. So I feel great about the pitching staff. And while it's not sexy, it wins you a lot of games. I feel great about the defense and the base running. Like the fundamentals around this camp and it's fun to be around it and that's why I love being down in spring training and being in Florida because you get to see the ins and outs like we watch a baseball game and people watch us on the broadcast and, and they see it they see the crispness of it but you don't see how something is built like everything that you see is built down here in spring training and, and they start from ground zero uh, of all right let's act like nobody knows anything you know and, and go from there so I feel good about those aspects but a, a lot like I'd say most others, I'm I'm interested in the offense. Offense is the question. I, I don't know what it's going to look like, and there are so many there are so many pieces that I believe are going to be better on this ball club. Uh, I believe that look, Matt Carpenter's year last year couldn't have been much worse, you know, and uh, it's a lot like Dexter Fowler's year two years ago. I don't know what to expect from Matt Carpenter, but I, I believe it's going to be better than last year. Now, what does that say? I don't know. I, yeah. I really don't know what that means. I think Goldie's going to be more consistent throughout the year. I love the adjustments that Paul DeYoung has made early on in spring training, and he's talked about his approach, and last year he got caught in the situation where he's 
trying to cover everything. Like from OO all the way until the end of the at bat, he's he's got every pitch, everything going through his head. Right now he's simplifying it. He's looking for something up in the zone, looking to drive the ball. Then he gets to two strikes, he'll shorten up and he'll make his adjustment. So I think that that's really going to help him from a consistency basis. Uh, and I, I think Colton Wong is a guy we've seen a lot of it in spring training of him leading off and being near the top of the top of the lineup. I think that he's going to be a guy that gets on base and at a good clip. He's got some good pop. He can go the other way. He can bunt, which is a lost art nowadays. But I don't know what to expect as a whole from the offense. We were talking before the game on Sunday uh, that we did on Fox Sports Midwest the 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 fact that you've done some a little digging on Jeff Albert year two and contact rate is something that has been you know good. And, it, and we're seeing improvements as a whole with the offense. Yo, know, for sure. And look, that's the thing that they really wanted to get into uh, is we see it a lot in baseball. We all know the trends right now. We, we know that there's a lot of swing and miss in this game. There's a lot of chase in this game right now. And oftentimes for certain guys, look, it doesn't matter because you chase enough. You're also going to get it enough and you're going to have your power numbers. But chase rate is something they really wanted to get down in, in, in spring training and carry on into the season. Last year, the big league, big league average was 30% chase rate uh the cardinals were at 31 which is a little bit above but everybody's kind of right there in that same Mm -hmm. area uh anywhere from like 28 to to you know low 30s well so far in spring and it's early it it is what it is but it's a a good trend cardinals are at 25 percent, so they're shaving a lot off of where they were and you're noticing it you're noticing it in guys like tyler o'neill who's up there taking good he's professional at best yeah he is a, a guy that's he's drawn a lot of walks already heck he's already almost at last year's total uh through spring training already then he had the entire year last year and i, I love watching him take off-speed pitches away and it's not just the fact that he's taking them. It's how he's taking him so he's not taking them leaned over the plate like oh I'm gonna, no i'm not gonna swing he's taking them He's back, he's balanced, he's recognizing spin, and it, it seems easy when you're watching this stuff on TV, okay? Like, to to see a pitch, recognize it, and not swing. You probably watch that at home and you say, I wouldn't have swung at that. Wait till you're in the box. Wait, wait till yeah. you're seeing it's hard. spin. Yeah, it's really hard, and everybody's got hellacious stuff. I mean, it, p- pitchers are nastier now than they've ever been before, so you really have to hone in. You really have to focus. You really have to be prepared. And Jeff Albert has the uh, the ability this year, in his second year, to have his approach heard more and his voice heard more, and guys are buying into it. The big question mark, Dylan Carlson, I know everybody's talking about it. Around baseball, we talk to scouts every day. Their, their wow factor yeah. is pretty high. What do you think about Dylan making this team? Look, I, I'm in camp take him with you, but I, I don't know. I don't know if the people that are pulling all the strings are in the same camp. They, they love what he's doing. How could you not love what he's doing? He's leading the not the team, like the league, all of Major League Baseball in a lot of categories already offensively, and he's checked every single box along the way. Um, I would love to see him in there. I would love to see him be a part of things, but I also understand uh, we just mentioned Tyler O'Neill. Look, I I'd like to see him play, too. Harrison Bader, Lane Thomas in center field, and Dexter Fowler is going to get the nod, especially early on in the season. Um, he's he's the veteran guy. His stats don't matter in spring training, but they will, obviously, when the season starts. You know, For at least the first couple of weeks, he, he's going to get the shake out in right field. He, he's going to get the look. So I, I can see both sides of it, but I know this. If, if I'm just picking out the best players 
on the roster. All right, just picking out the best team right now. Dylan Carlson is one of those best players. I would agree. Um, are you amazed? Two former teammates yours are still going in Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. Yeah, I know what I feel like when I get out of bed. It's unbelievable. Yeah, isn't it? and they're they're not just playing, but they're doing so very well. First of all, how about the year Adam had last year? Like like what a bounce back and the, for and him. the finish was really yes. impressive. Yeah, it really was. And I mean, Yadi, he shows no signs of aging. He's, and we talked about this on the broadcast over the weekend as well, the excitement that he's playing with. Like, you can just tell. He's got some pep in, him, pep in his step. He loves doing what he's doing. And I'm amazed by it. I, I really am. These guys, uh, this game is really hard. And to be able to play it as long as they have been at as high of a level, look, they're both in the conversation of when my kids are way older and, you know, fingers crossed, grandkids. I'm going to be talking about the fact that I played with those guys yeah. in, in such, uh, you know, I hold them in such high reverence. And then finally, I'm going to wrap it up with this. We've seen that Cincinnati, you'll be with me on the initial broadcast, the initial road trip uh, of the, the regular season coming up on March 26th. So we're not that far away, just a couple of weeks away. Cincinnati looks to be really good. Yelich has signed an extension. Chicago is going to be Chicago. uh, Pittsburgh looks to be in a rebuild. How do you size up the NL Central? I think it's going to be a four-team race, really, uh, uh, at the top. The Reds got way better. They got way better. If you're a Reds fan, you got to be really happy. Absolutely. Here's a question. Did they get 16 or 17 games better? Because that's what they were back last year. I don't know. I I know that the pitching is going to be good because it was last year, and they even added to that. Uh, The rotation is going to be strong, even in that tough ballpark. And offensively, they added all the pieces that you could ask for. Will it translate? I guess we're going to find out. And I'm looking forward to opening day. I want to see them. I want to see what they look like as a group. Um, The Cubs interest me due to the fact that all we heard was turnover, turnover, turnover. There's going to be a lot of changes over here. Well, the only turnover really was the manager. I mean, that, that's all they did. So I'm wondering what they look like. they got an aging rotation. They've got question marks in the, in the bullpen. But you look at their lineup, and they are very talented. So uh, I, don't, I don't know how to handicap them. And we were talking about the Brewers over the weekend as well with the broadcast. Their pitching depth isn't there. It hasn't been the last couple of years, and look where they've been, you know. But – uh, they they've also turned over about half their roster, so I think that they're I think the central is there for the taking. You know, a lo- uh, long way to a short short point. The central is there for the taking. So who's going to take advantage of it? You're the best. Thank you. No, this you're is fun. the best. No, you are. Stop it. I enjoy your show. It's a really good show. Do you only like the ones that you're on? Or? Pretty much. Okay. No, it's fair. I get it. Yeah. yeah I mean, your show's fine too. Have you ever listened to it? Yeah, it's great. I'm listening to this one right now. Give me one of the guests I've had. Mo? No. Shilty? Yes. Rick Ankeel? Yes. See? That's shocking. I know. Very shocking. I know. Thank you. No problem. That's Brad Thompson of 101 ESPN and Fox Sports Midwest. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. More of the Cardinals talk you know and love. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin of Fox Sports Midwest and 101. Hopefully you enjoyed my visit with Brad Thompson. If you didn't know, voting for the Cardinals Hall of Fame is now open, and it's quite a group. Brian Finch runs the Cardinals Hall of Fame and Museum. You can vote at least once daily. Uh, Voting will continue through April 17th, and then we will announce the vote in an official 
uh, show on Friday, May 8th at 6 p.m. It's a special uh, 30-minute televised broadcast on Fox Sports Midwest. And then there will also be a pregame ceremony that evening uh, at the game. And, uh, again, that's Friday, May 8th at 6 o'clock on Fox Sports Midwest. But, again, go to cardinals.com slash HOF to um, submit your votes. And, really, you know, it's an opportunity for fans to make their mark on Cardinals history uh, by voting for the 2020 Cardinals Hall of Fame class. That's what's happening back home in St. Louis in terms of what's happening on the field. Soto hits it out to deep left, and this ball is caught by Ravello. What a catch. Ron Hell Ravello in left as he robs Soto. He's quietly had a terrific camp, and that's Ron Hell Ravello. Been all over the diamond, and he's battling for a position on the Cardinals bench in 2020, which could include in no particular order Matt Wieters, Brad Miller, Tommy Edmond, and a combination of Lane Thomas, Tyler O'Neill, Edmundo Sosa, or maybe even this guy. Line drive into center off the bat of Dylan Carlson, and he drives in his first here in 2020, and it makes it a 2-0 St. Louis lead. A bullet. Dylan Carlson has been the talk of this camp for the Cardinals. If he comes, he wouldn't be on the bench. He's in the lineup. So do the Cardinals make that decision now? Bring him north with them to Cincinnati. I asked that question to Ben Fredrickson of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm in the bring him camp unless something falls off a cliff here. Um, look, the Cardinals are going to put themselves in a tough spot if they don't. Do they... They sold to their fans that they wanted to open up outfield playing time to the young guys, um, that they felt like these young players could help raise the bar offensively. And it was a tough sell, but for those who bought it, how can you then turn around and say, we had one guy who who lit camp on fire for the second year in a row and, and we're, we're not bringing them north? Uh, that's a that's a tough sell. And, and what has Dylan Carlson done to suggest he, he can't help this team, that he's not one of the three best outfielders? Um, I haven't seen anything he's done to suggest that he's not. I've seen a lot of things he's done to suggest that he has, and you've been down here longer than I have. I haven't seen him play every day, but, but you know the guys who have are, are saying, this guy, he does everything. He's a mature hitter, does it from both sides of the plate. One thing I've noticed with them, and you can't – this doesn't have a stat, so forgive me for – for going old school here, but he's just one of those guys where something good always seems to happen when he's at the plate. Even if, if, he, if he puts a ball in play, they have a throwing error against him. If he gets on, he goes first to third, finds a way to score. I mean, he had a game yesterday where he didn't get a hit and still did like really three good things that impacted the game. So that to me is a, you know, you don't ignore those things. So the Cardinals, I get it. You know, they're, they, they like what Tyler O'Neill's doing. Totally get that. And, and I, I think they really see, uh, potential for Lane Thomas, who has not had quite as loud of a camp as Dylan Carlson or Tyler O'Neill, but this is what we talked about, Dan, when, when before I came down here, and it's what happens if there is a you know a definitive showing from some of these young guys in spring that suggests that their three best outfielders are you know are, are a group that doesn't include one of the current established starters. And I think you're going to see that conversation continue. Fans are, are going to keep asking about Dexter Fowler um, as, as long as he's you know not hitting in spring. And, and I don't think that Dexter's in jeopardy of losing his, his opening you know day starting job in right field. But I think we're seeing where Schilt's hitting him down in the lineup that he's not you know expecting him to be a top of the order guy. And I think we're going to see, you know, I think it will 
if you're asking what's realistically at, at risk here for Fowler, uh, I think the runway to holding on to that job is shortened if he has, you know, if he doesn't kind of pull out of this this spring and have a better showing as things kind of get to crunch time. I don't think he will lose his starting job as much as some people would want to see that. But I think he could be in jeopardy of it once the season starts and the games begin to count because of some of the, the competition that's pushing up his way behind him. You can hear Ben every Friday on Scoops with DannyMac.com. Also, the talk of this camp, Carlson, the Cardinals pitching, and the talented young players the Redbirds have in their system. Recently, Keith Law of The Athletic ranked the best minor league systems in baseball. The Cardinals were in his top 10. And that was a bit surprising to see that ranking from Keith. Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com covers every day the Cardinals minor league system. Yeah, that's really interesting you say that because you know Keith Law, when he was with the ESPN, he's now with The Athletic, of course, but... Keith Law always had the reputation as being a Cardinals basher, but I actually track, I have all the rankings from Baseball America and BP and uh, John Sickles and others, you know, back at least 10 years. And Law Law has not ranked the Cardinals as good as number nine since 2013. And then, you know, back then we're talking about Kobe Rasmus days almost. So, you know, that was Alex Reyes days in the beginning. So that was a long time ago. But over the last prior six years, Keith Law has always ranked the Cardinals between the number 12 and number 19 farm system in MLB, which really hasn't been that far off the norm. But it is nice to see, a, you know, a national Raider put the Cardinals in the top 10. Baseball America earlier came out and put the Cardinals number 13. Uh, MILB.com, MinorLeagueBaseball.com, this week also ranked the Cardinals system 12. So it looks like the perspective, the the consensus is going to have the Cardinals, you know, in the top half of the farm systems. Uh, in baseball right now. Where do you think their strength lies? As these folks look at the Cardinals and their system, what's the strength of the farm system? Well, the strength of the Cardinals farm system traditionally has been more in volume. You know, unheralded guys who step up and become significant major league contributors. I mean, you go back to Albert Pujols or more recently Trevor Rosenthal or Tommy Edmond, guys who were never on national top 100 lists. So the Cardinals tend to have the more, you know, even a Matt Carpenter, guys who, you know, aren't necessarily in that top tier of national prospects, but who become productive, longstanding major leaguers. Now, it is interesting when you look at the Cardinals system now, the the three guys that are on everybody's top 100, national top 100 list are the guys you think so. Nolan Gorman, Dylan Carlson, and Matthew Libertor. But the interesting thing is that the Raiders don't agree on which one of those is the top in the system. Most of them say Dylan Carlson, but interestingly enough, Fangraphs likes Nolan Gorman better than Dylan Carlson as the top uh, prospect in the Cardinals system this year. What do you think? I think it's it's Carlson, Gorman, Libertor. And uh, that's the way that most of them have them. And Carlson's best ranking is number 10 nationally by Baseball America. So, you know, the Cardinals have a prospect, you know, in the national top 10, which is something that hadn't occurred since the heyday of Alex Reyes when he was a top 10 guy three different years in a row. And then before that, Oscar Tavares was a number two ranked prospect uh, in MLB on a couple lists back in the uh, earlier part of this decade. Tampa Bay has a loaded farm system. They needed to make a trade for the big league club, and that's why Libertor is now in St. Louis. I'll tell you what, uh, Brian, from what I've seen down here, I am awfully impressed with that young man. He's going to be something. Yeah, you know, it was good because his first time out, he got knocked around a little bit. And, you know, I was not trying to make apologies, but my comment on Twitter was, well, remember the last guy time this guy took a mound, it was in the Midwest League for Bowling Green, low class A last September. So, you know, facing major league hitters in a, in a one o'clock spring training game on 
on television was was quite a step up for the young man. But since then, he showed us the kind of talent he has. And Matthew Libertor is ranked uh, between number 40 and number 60 on almost every national top 100 list. But at the same time, I don't think we had to lose sight of Zach Thompson, the Cardinals' uh, first-rounder last year, also a left-hander. He's pitched a level higher in the system than Libertor. And while Thompson isn't on any national uh, 100 lists, you know, he's at least ahead, I think, in terms of where he'll pitch this season and could be the guy to reach the majors and contribute even more quickly than Matthew Libertor. As it pertains to Nolan Gorman, you've got Montero, you've got Mendoza, also highly thought-of kids. How do you think that plays out, that trio at third base? The question really is, with Montero's bad year offensively, primarily due to injury at Springfield, is he ready for Memphis? You know, could you put Montero as a third baseman in Memphis and then, you know, create the everyday opportunity for Carlson at double A? Because I think, I mean, sorry, excuse me, for um, uh, Gorman at double A. Because I think, you know, Gorman's ready for the Texas League, and there's no reason why he, he, he Nolan Gorman, couldn't have the kind of year in double A that, that Dylan Carlson had last year. So, you know, I think they'll find a way to get at bats. I think Evan Mendoza, they're definitely positioning more as a utility guy now. Uh, we saw him play third base as a normal position, but he played first base last year. Down instructional camp, he was playing shortstop. So, you know, it could be that, you know, that Mendoza's, and I think that's reasonable, that Mendoza's future is likely more as a utility guy, while they still want to, I think, continue to keep Montero and Gorman both at third base. Interesting info on the minors from Brian Walton. That does it from Jupiter, Florida, and the Redbird Report. The next televised game on Fox Sports Midwest from here in Florida will be this Thursday at noon, St. Louis time against the Marlins. I'll have my daily reports coming your way on 101 ESPN. And tomorrow, I visit with Anthony Stalter. This is 101 ESPN.